Hello, and welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast from Redemption Church, Tempe, Arizona, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. On this podcast, we cover a range of topics, including True Story Project, the gospel, and culture at large, and the occasional lesson from basketball and gangster rap. You can find more at our website, tempe.redemptionaz.com. Enjoy. Hello, everyone out there. Hello, Redemption Tempe. Uh, It's really good to be here with you once again on our Redemption Tempe podcast. I hope you've been enjoying these. I believe we're we're somewhere in the episodes of 13 or 14 or 15 at this point. Um, We've been really trying to keep up with uh, most of the books of the Bible as we've been reading through the True Story Project. If you don't know what that is, that is our project uh, to read through the whole Bible as a whole church for the whole year. It started in September, right after Labor Day weekend on that Monday, September 5th. We are cruising through reading two to three chapters every day in the Bible. And now here we are in November, uh, starting to get into Joshua and Judges. Uh, And for that reason, I am really excited to have with me David Beldman. Uh, He's a PhD, a professor, and a teacher up in the the wonderful country of Canada in the province of Ontario. Um, But he he asked that just we can go call him Dave. That's cool with him. Dave, so good to have you here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And congratulations to everyone who's still on the project at this point. You've gotten through all the laws, so that's that's really impressive. <laughs> that's right. That's right. As an encouragement to you all here now through the Pentateuch and into the Promised Land, as the story goes in, in Joshua. Um, Dave, would you mind just giving us a quick uh, quick biography of yourself, uh, you know, where you're from and where you live now and what you do with yourself and really how you got connected to us down here in sunny Arizona? Yeah, sure. So I am a a professor of theology at uh, Redeemer College uh, up here in Canada. We're in southern Ontario, which actually, if you sort of draw the line across, it's uh, about the the same latitude or longitude, whatever it is, um, as uh, northern California. So, um, but it is a bit colder than it is where you are. Um, I teach in the theology department at Redeemer and teach most of the Bible courses, um, Old Testament, uh, hermeneutics, some of the New Testament courses as well. Um, yeah, what, what else was there? Well, um, let's see. Uh, emphasis, you, you have an emphasis on, in Judges, right? You wrote your dissertation? That. That's right. So I wrote my uh, dissertation on Judges, particularly the last uh, five chapters of Judges. If you've gotten there, there are some pretty horrifying narratives in there. Um, but really asking the question, uh, what kind of ending is this? Uh, um, endings are important, and uh, it's kind of the author's last chance to to really drive home what he's what he's trying to communicate. And uh, so, what, what kind of ending is this for judges? So we'll probably get into that. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Uh, are you married? Family? Uh, things like that? Dan? Yeah, yeah. I'm married. Uh, we have uh, four children from ages five up till fourteen. Great! Wow, that's that's awesome. And, uh, and how big is the city you're in up there in Ontario? Uh, it's not too big, so eighty-five thousand people. Okay, good deal. Uh, I hear a rumor that you also uh, ride a motorcycle, so you're one of those. I dudes. do ride a motorcycle. Yes, this has sort of been a, a dream since I was a, a teen, and it just hasn't worked out. But uh, I only started uh, riding a motorcycle about three months ago, and. Uh, 
the the motorcycle I ride is 40 years old, about about my age, and uh, I, I love to tinker around on it, and uh, I just I just love the the vintage motorcycles. Very cool, and you do rock a beard, which is important, I think, in colder Ontario and having a motorcycle. So you really you fit that profile well. Oh yeah, it's a necessity. Yeah, hopefully not too many knife fights or whatever. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and hey, uh, apologies to any motorcyclers out there who are offended that I just somehow associated you with knife fighting. But uh, uh, enough, enough of that. L- let's jump in. Let's jump in to talk about uh, the Book of Joshua and the Book of Judges, and uh, and just uh, hit through some of those, some of the things that are happening, and and uh, what people are, have read or are going to be reading in there. Um, I'm wondering if you can just help us with an introduction to these books, Dave. Um, a preface to them, if you could try to describe Joshua in one sentence. How would you how'd you describe that? Yeah. Um... You know, these uh, Joshua and Judges are um, historical books, and each of each one of them sort of covers a different period, a time period in Israel's history. So Joshua covers the events uh, around Israel's conquest of of Canaan, the the Promised Land, and Judges covers the the time in Israel's history history when they're settling in that land, uh, often called the settlement period or the period of the judges. So in a sense, um, in terms of its content, it's covering those. uh, But uh, in terms of what they're about, um, uh, I think it's uh, a bit more complex than that. And I think to understand and to say in one sentence uh, what these um, what these books are about, I think we need to understand it in the bigger story. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to go back a little bit before I answer that question. Is that right? Welcome to. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Now you guys have been, uh, doing this big, big story project. And, uh, so, you know, you've been following the story and you know how important Genesis 12, one through three is, and that's the, the calling of Abraham and the promises that God makes to him. And and that really is a pivotal moment in the story. And and I think you'll see it's really important for us in in how we understand Joshua and Judges. And um, really, when when God calls Abraham, he he gives him a calling and he also makes promises to him. And and I think it's uh, we can sort of boil down those promises to three basic things. He's going to make Abraham and his descendants a great nation with many descendants uh, he's going to have a uh, forge this relationship of blessing uh, between uh, Abraham and Yahweh, uh, his God, and he's going to give him a land of his own. So uh, a great nation, a relationship of blessing, and a land of his own. Now, all of that was to facilitate is, uh, Abraham's calling, which was to be a blessing to the nation. So all these things were given to him, are going to be given to him so that all nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, before we go on to see how that relates to Joshua and Judges, um, I'm sure your, your listeners are all aware that that call of Abraham was a response of God. It was uh, part of God's redemption plan to overcome sin, rebellion, pain, suffering, and death that uh, entered into his good creation in the fall. Right. And so in order to get back to the shalom, the harmony, and the peace of Genesis 1 and 2, um, he was calling Abraham, yeah. and through Abraham, he was going to um, restore his creation. Okay, so far yeah. so good? Yeah, got it. That's good. Okay. Now, as the story unfolds, we can see these things being at least partially fulfilled You know, over the course of the Pentateuch. This is what your listeners have been reading about. So in Genesis, the big question is, how are they going to become a great nation when Abraham and Sarah can't have kids? 
you know, who, who is going to be the descendant and, and so on. By the time we flip over the page into uh, Judges, uh, sorry, into uh, Exodus, um, at the end of uh, Genesis, there are 70 uh, souls in uh, Exodus, 400 years have passed, and they're kind of spilling over the land, which actually becomes the catalyst for the next promise. So right. by the beginning of Exodus, they, they become a great nation, yeah. but they're not in the land. And so God uh, faces off against Pharaoh. And the big question is, you know, who has the claim of uh, God's people? Is it Pharaoh or is it Yahweh? And, and God brings them out and really at Sinai. So in Exodus and Leviticus and the beginning of Numbers, um, mm-hmm. there at Sinai, Yahweh is forging his relationship of uh, blessing with his people. He's kind of giving them their manifesto as, as redeemed people. Yeah. This is how you're supposed to live, yeah. and this is how you're going to be bring blessing. And so they're, they're called a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I think those two, it's interesting that, that, that those two terms are used, kingdom of priests and holy nation, because they kind of, uh, they're at intention with one another. Okay. So on the one hand, uh, a holy nation, that means separated, yeah. right? So yeah. they could have their holy huddle and uh, be off alone and, and be holy. But God says, no, you're not just a holy nation, a separate nation, but also a kingdom of priests. And a, a, a priest is somebody who mediates the blessings uh, of God uh, to the people. And so these two uh, work really well together. And that's what the Sinai Covenant is all about. How does Israel live? as a kingdom of priest and a holy nation, that relationship of blessing is forged there. That's great. Uh, and then, you know, as we set off from Sinai uh, in numbers, they head off towards the land. Um, we have this major detour. By the end of the Pentateuch, uh, they're, they're, um, they're not in the promised land. They can see it. It's just over the river. But that promise is still uh, meant to be fulfilled. So they're a great nation. The relationship of blessing, all the terms of it are set. Um, they're not quite in the land. And then we come to Joshua. Right. And Joshua is about the fulfillment of the land. So they've got their instructions. They know what they have to do. And uh, Joshua, against all odds, God is going to give them the gift of the land. And, and that really is what um, Joshua's about, is God finally fulfilling his promise uh, to give Israel the land. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And then on the heels of, of that with Joshua, Judges comes right after that. And uh, a similar time frame, similar audience, maybe slightly different context, correct? Yeah, exactly. So they, they're in the land. And, and I, I find this so interesting. When, when your readers are going through uh, Joshua, they're going to get frustrated uh, you know, when they kind of get, they're, they're going to read chapter 13. By the time they get to 14, you're going to be a little bit frustrated. 15, 16, 17, up to uh, 21. Uh, you know, they're going it, to, it's, it's very tedious. There are a lot of details. And really, from chapter 13 to 21, it's all about the distribution of the land. And if you read it, it follows a very similar um, uh, structure. So, gotcha. uh, you know, uh, God, this is the allotment for the tribe of Dan and uh, Benjamin and Judah and, and so on. And then all the cities and the boundaries, and it's, it's very specific. And um, at, at that point, you should be thinking um, not, oh, I want to leave this behind, but why all these details? Sure. Right, And the answer is actually given at the end of Joshua, and it all has to do with the, the significance of this moment in Israel's history. Because really, 
um, all the promises are, are basically in place. The promises that God made to Abraham are in place by the end of Joshua. And Joshua says as much. So okay. uh, I'm just opening my Bible here to uh, Joshua 23. And uh, Joshua's about to die. He goes to the people. You know, all the land has been parceled out. And uh, 23 verse 14, it says, And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concern you. I'm going to read that again because it's so important. Um, You know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Hmm. He's saying it's all in place now. Right. And uh, right. and then if actually we go on to read, uh, there's a kind of covenant uh, renewal ceremony. Your readers or your listeners will know about this. They've re- they've read about them in Exodus and Deuteronomy and and so on. These covenant renewal ceremonies. And there's one at the end of Joshua. That's how the book ends. And uh, Joshua says, "Okay, so God has done all these things. Now what are you going to do? Who are you going to serve?" Yeah. Are you going to serve the gods of the Canaanites and the place where you're living? That would be the huge temptation. I think as your uh, listeners are, are reading through, um, particularly judges, uh, they keep on going after these foreign gods. And we think, I mean, how stupid. Why Why do they do this again and again? Don't they know this is not what God wants? But um, this is part of the sort of uh, cognitive and but religious environment in which they're living. You move into a new place, the first thing you do as an na- ancient Near, East, Near Eastern person is you find out what the local deity is. Okay. Because the local deity is in, in charge of crops, of um, you know fertility of all kinds, uh, prosperity, and so on. So you move into a new place, you find out who the new god is. Right. What you never find in, uh, in the Bible, I think really, but particularly we're talking about Joshua and Judges, you never really have Israelites saying, you know what? Uh, I don't really believe in Yahweh anymore. Um, You know, I'm not going to serve him anymore, and I'm going to serve this God over here now. Yeah. It's always uh, a synthesis. So they'll they'll have Yahweh, they'll serve him, and they'll pledge allegiance to him, but they will also serve other gods. And uh, sometimes they they confuse, um, you know, how Yahweh wants to be worshipped with how these other gods are worshipped. But that that would be a huge um, temptation just because of the time and the culture they're living in. Um, And so, uh, you know, Joshua knows this. And he says, you're living in a new land, so who are you going to serve? And then they say, well, we're going to serve Yahweh. Yeah. And Joshua says, you know, I know what your hearts are like. You're not going to serve Yahweh. Yeah. Um, and, and they say, no, no, we're going to serve Yahweh. And they say it one more time. Uh, we will serve Yahweh three times with uh, this. We will serve Yahweh ringing in their ears. All the promises fulfilled, um, a threefold allegiance to Yahweh. And we turn over the page into Judges. Now, the way I frame that, if we didn't know anything about Judges, we would turn over that page with huge anticipation. I mean, this is amazing. All the promises are there. They're going to be serving Yahweh, and we can see God's kingdom coming in with just uh, amazing uh, effects. Uh, The nations are going to be blessed. Israel's going to be blessed. Uh, You know, the kingdom is going to come on earth. Yeah, yeah. And we turn over the page in Judges, 
and you know it's a huge disappointment <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's quite the bummer man it, more of a tragedy than a comedy it feels like it, it is and and really then so if i were to sum up uh, what judges is about um it's really about how israel fails in their calling to be a holy nation and kingdom of priests and instead becomes more and more like the Canaanites. Yeah. And uh, and the effect of this, so that's one sentence. I did it. That's it. <laughs> but the that's effect it. of this it's a, An is Apostle that, Paul uh, run-on sentence. Um, that's okay. It's, it's it. not only not good for them. So uh, we see all sorts of bad things happening for it, uh, to Israel during this time period because of their, their just stubborn rebellion. Yeah. So it's not good for them, but it's also not good for the nations mm-hmm. that they're called to bless. Yeah. So um, a direct result of their rebellion is that they're put at odds with the surrounding nations, the, the surrounding nations that they're called to bless and, and bring God's uh, blessing to. So it, it really is quite a, a tragic book. Yeah, yeah, really. And it, it's really interesting how much a couple things come to light when we start talking about it in terms of story. Um, one is just almost almost to the person, it seems, the people who end up leading God's people. Uh, Moses is the prominent one that comes to mind. But Joshua as well, they, 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 they are faithful to give God's words and commands. And yet they also tell the people... You, you're, you're going to be a bunch of fools. Your, your hearts are going to be hard. And, you know, the, all of the warnings and, like, you know, at the end of Deuteronomy about cursed are you if you, you know, fall into idolatry. Idol, idolatry and all the people say amen. And cursed are you if you do this. And all the people say amen. And, you know, that. Uh, and then Joshua has that similar idea. Like, you, you, fear God and choose this. Choose life. But uh, I know you people. Right, and so there is always there's a tinge of that prophetic sense of what you what you need as God's people is a new heart is is something bigger than than mere um, rote obedience. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And what's interesting about Judges is uh, you know you ha- you you mentioned there Moses and and uh, uh, Joshua and um, it's interesting you know uh, after the death. Um, uh, at, at the beginning of Joshua, it's framed after the death of, of Moses. Yes. And we have um, Joshua leading the people. Judges starts in a very similar way after the death of Joshua, but it doesn't uh, – we don't get a clear sense of who's going to lead. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That, that leadership vacuum does become – at least part of the issue that's happening in Judges, that there's no stable leader, uh, leadership. Now, um, part of the problem is I think uh, a lot of commentators um, will focus on that and, and say, um, and actually I think the, they're not alone in that. I think that God's people back in this day thought that their problem was they didn't have stable um sort of consistent leadership and yes. that was what their problem is i think judges tells a very different uh, story but uh what they didn't get in the leaders that they were given uh were leaders that would bring them uh back to covenant um renewal repentance and and that sort of thing so they did get these sort of um impromptu leaders uh, the judges that, that uh come up again and again uh, but those leaders by and large uh, i mean we just don't read about them uh, prompting the people to repent and commit themselves once again to Yahweh. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Where they really just did did not need merely uh, physical leaders or sort of a government of the people, but really uh, spiritual leaders, and they didn't get that, uh, as you can see with some of the characters with with judges. And, and you know, you know, jumping beyond then judges as well. You know, Ruth happens is this beautiful picture uh, of real of faithfulness and uh, of someone coming near to Yahweh and to worship Him to be part of His people. But even then, we we see the, those seeds of, of David with, with Boaz. Mm-hmm and Ruth and then it, from there into first and second Samuel we see Samuel as a prophet raised up and he anoints the kings and and so there it's as a story as a framework it is it is fascinating and it is an incredible story to watch God's people move from slavery um, through some valleys no doubt um, and Absolutely, many times by yeah. their own doings and then into the the dynasties of the kings in some ways too which even God chastises them for at a later time here that really he is supposed to be their king but they want a human king and, uh, and so on and so forth, but uh, yeah, that's that's so helpful. Thank you, Dave, for like just sharing that 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 the lead up to that where we're at as well. We want to <clears> stay <throat> in this story and not lose that and not overly dissect this, but really be able to say this is such a beautiful thing that God has done and is doing. And there's parts that are difficult. Um, so you know, let, let me let me ask you this question. You've hit on this already, but if you could um, articulate it. Uh, what would you say uh, big themes are? Uh, if someone's saying, well, so just tell me what, what the, big, the big meaning, the big theme is here in, in these books, in Joshua and in Judges. How, how would you describe that? Yeah, I think for Joshua, it would, it would relate to the fulfilling of God's promise. So, um, and against just incredible odds. I mean, Israel was not a military um, nation. Uh, they, they were never meant to be one either. Um, but uh, God went ahead of them, and uh, they, they were able to um, move into the land. So the faithfulness of God, I think, is a, is a major um, and theme. And, and even through all those details of the parceling of the land, I think, emphasize that. Yeah. God is faithful. He's doing what, what he said he would do. Um, with judges, it's a little different because, you know, we've got these promises in place. So, you know, what's the major theme? I- I'm convinced that um, there's, a, there's a scholar called uh, Daniel Block, um, a good, good evangelical scholar. He, he said that the, um, the theme of judges is the canonization of Israel okay. over the course of the book. Now, think about that. Israel's the, the judges, the theme of judges is the canonization of God's people. Uh, over the course of the book and and that i mean that that almost makes it more more depressing really because they were called to be this set apart nation for the sake of the nations instead they're becoming more and more like the nations and it's not good for anyone i I came across this quote of a um a sociologist i think he was jewish but um his background isn't as important but uh he said that, uh, you know, as humans, uh, we're always engaged in the making of culture, uh, the building of societies. And uh, this kind of culture making, although he doesn't use that word, that's Andy Crouch. But um, th- this this idea of culture making, mm-hmm. really what it's all about is uh, translating a sacred order into an order for society. Yeah. So, so taking a sacred order and translating that into an order for society. Now, I think what the what the Sinai Covenant is there for is to show, you know, um, what Yahweh's sacred order looks like in the Israelite society. Hmm. 
So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of translating Yahweh's sacred order into an order for Israelite society. Now, what we have in Judges, the, the problem, um, now, it, it's bad. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's bad that Israel is uh, worshiping the Canaanite gods. Um, but that's not just a religious thing. Right. So part of the problem is that um, because they're aligning themselves, the, the Bible really uses the language of allegiance and loyalty and service. Because they are serving and are uh, loyal to the Canaanite gods and are serving them, uh, that's not just a religious thing. It's playing its uh, and, and, and working its way out into their society. So as you see, as you work your way through Judges, just make note of you know, what kind of activity are, are they engaged in? And you'll see actually, um, you'll, you'll see a cycle in Judges, right? Um, Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Right. That arouses God's anger. Right. He punishes them by sending foreign oppressors. Then uh, they cry out to the Lord. Yahweh brings up a, um, a deliverer and there's peace in the land. So there is that cycle, but it, it's probably better to see it as a spiral downward because as you go through these stories, you see that things kind of get worse and worse and worse in Israel, in the society of Israel. Um, the leaders, uh, they are becoming worse. Uh, the enemies, they, they end up fighting themselves uh, more at the uh, toward the end as the book wears on. You know, Gideon uh, fights his own people. Then Jephthah kills like 42,000 Ephraimites, something like that. Right. Um, and then, this, you know, they almost wipe out Benjamin. So um, it's not just that they're worshiping these other gods, but they're building a society and building a moral uh, moral order, social order yeah. based on the Canaanites. And, and that's good for nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That, that's that's really helpful, and, and to see the context of these books in, in that way is is, is very good. Um, I think it's add some clarity to the to the way this story unfolds. Uh, I want to ask you a question that's a, a little break from the seriousness of judges. Um, so we've done this before, and you don't know this is coming, Dave. So I'm going to go ahead and just put you on the spot um, where where we chose. A basketball team by uh, five like five biblical characters you would have you know to make up your basketball team. Now I understand you're in Canada, Ontario, and maybe maybe <laughs> basketball isn't your your primary five person sport. So if you want to choose a hockey team, uh, but I would love for you to pick of the twelve judges, who would you choose to have on your basketball team? What's your lineup, man? We got we got Othniel, it's kind of shorter first guy. Ehud is our uh, what's he our left handed assassin. I'm not fond of fat kings. Uh, Shamgar. <laughs> I think Shamgar's short, but he kills 600 men with an ox goad. Uh, That's right. Deborah, we know, we know her. She, yeah, she, she's a, she's a bad woman in, in all the best ways. I mean, she, she's, she's tough. Um, Gideon, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, as you mentioned, who was a, also a, a pretty tough guy in, in war. Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and of course Samson at the end. So uh, yeah, any thoughts here? What's your lineup, man? What's your what's your <laughs> hockey lineup or your basketball lineup with the out of the twelve judges? Well, it really does depend if we're playing basketball or hockey, because you know hockey uh, ha- having some um, <laughs> guys who can check and you know sure. be on the boards sure. uh, is yeah. quite helpful. Though I'm sure that's helpful in basketball as well. Um, but uh, so, I mean, it, in a way, it's an easy question because we get a lot of the details on the major judges. Uh, so, uh, for sure, Samson. Yep. I mean, that that guy. Yeah, you got your can, enforcer with Samson. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, Ehud is, uh, you know, he's he's pretty sly. Um, yeah. So 
having somebody to, you know, trick moves and things like that. And a lefty he, probably is helpful to have on Yeah, the left lefty would be great, yeah. yeah. So he, he'd be on the roster. Um, I, I do think Jeff, uh, I mean, he has a he, – he he's kind of a um, – He's the diplomat, so he think he can think things through, and and uh, so probably be good as a you know calling the plays really. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Gideon, Gideon's a star, I know, but like he's well known. But I just feel like Gideon's number gets called to go in the game, and he's like, no, no, I'm not ready to go in. And like Gideon, get in the game. And he's like, no, I don't. I, I need some time over here before. That's I can... true. That's true. But if you can get him on the ice, man, yeah. I mean, he he does perform. He will. He will uh, get it done. He will. Oh yeah, yeah. But even uh, our shorthanded he, team, he is one to watch out for though, because uh, you know it's hard to get him on the ice. When you get him on the ice, you know he kind of takes over and uh, don't get in his way. He'll kill his own teammates. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something to, to keep in mind. Yeah, this is uh, uh, these are important strategic coaching decisions. Yeah, I know. You know, JL is um, uh, you know the ten peg. Um, I know she's not a judge exactly, but um, no, we'll allow that. Know, she, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, did I get six yet? I, th- I think you're. I think you're there. Five or six. I think that's good enough. Um, yeah. I mean, you got you got a couple alternates if you want. Like throw Shamgar in there or something. Absolutely. But, yeah. He's uh, got to be in there. That's good. Good. And I I want to congratulate you. I think this is the first time that hockey has been mentioned ever on uh, our podcasts. And I just want to you know honor our brother here, our Canadian brothers and sisters way up yonder. Uh, you know that that's that's the, one of the big sports. You know. You know there is a Phoenix team, eh? Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. The oh, I got the A in there. You I did. got the A in there. You did, you did. We're we're hearing a, a little bit of uh, of the, the Canadian accent, man, and we 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 like it. Um, all right, well, good. So so we have we have our lineup, but uh, this has been really helpful just to hear where, where it is and where where the, these books, Joshua and judges, are and the stories. Um, and you know, to make sure we get our hockey team. I want to ask you this: um, these are hard books, though. They're violent. They're dark. Um, it's it often feels, I think, for we as Christians who believe that God is good, reading through some of these, it, it can bring up some questions. What, do you, what was God doing in some of this stuff? Or, why, you know, questions of why. Why would he let this happen? Um, and what's, can, can you help us out a little bit, Dave, just in guidance? Joshua has some things that, that could relate to genocide um, that, that people could, could question in that way. But Judges, too, has a lot of interesting ways that seems that you know, they're violent the way that God used people. Lots of people dying with, with interesting weapons like ox goads and donkey, donkey bones and tent pegs. Um, what, what's, what's, what, what do you, have you found many people miss or mistake when they're reading through? Um, let's start with the book of Joshua. Yeah, and, and it is actually helpful to separate them because I think the the tough, challenging issues are different for the different books. Um, uh, you know, I've been helped by uh, Chris Wright. He teaches at uh, the Missional Training Center uh, where I, I do some training as well. Um, so he's written a book, Christopher Wright, uh, called The God I Don't Understand. Mm-hmm. And he's got a chapter, a couple chapters uh, in there on the Canaanite conquest and the, the challenges it, it brings to us. And I think if we are sort of serious Christians who actually read the Bible um, and have emotions, um, this question of the, the conquest of Canaan is a very, very tough issue. Yeah. Um, and so I think we have to name it. Um, it it's very difficult. I think um, I, I like how you framed it at the beginning, because uh, in these discussions, I, I think we have to be crystal clear that uh, um, 
Well, first of all, the God of the Old Testament is is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and their purposes are the same. Right. Um, we, we have to frame it in the sense that, you know, God, we know and we trust that God is good, that he is trustworthy, um, that he knows what he's doing, that he's powerful. Um, I, I think all these things are, are important uh, when, when we kind of go through these, because I, I think in the end this is one um, that we won't fully have an answer to yeah. until we see God face to face. Right. Um, there are some things that can help us out, though. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I wish God did it a different way. I, I wish there was a different way, but I do trust He's good, um, that He's trustworthy, that yeah. He's, He knows what He's doing. Yeah. With with um, with Joshua, uh, the conquest of of the land um, is a is a tough one. Um, you can read a lot of different um, explanations for it. Some people will say, well, this is war rhetoric and uh, there's kind of hyperbole and um, exaggeration. There might be some of that. It still is, is, a, is a bit uncomfortable, even if that, that is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think reading carefully. So I hope as, you're, um, as the audience here has uh, read through the laws, they've I mean, you know, you go through the laws, it's a little bit hard to pay attention sometimes, but the way that God uh, told the people they should do warfare would be very countercultural. Sure. So the way that they should treat uh, slaves, the way, you know, uh, I think Deuteronomy, I I don't have the reference in front of me, but it says when you go to uh, do conquest of the land, uh, surround the city and offer peace terms. Yeah. Now, um, peace terms would mean that the Canaanite people would become slaves or servants uh, of the Israelites. But again, read the laws to see what it would mean to be a slave. Uh, Patrick Miller, an Old Testament uh, scholar on the Pentateuch, says that, you know, to to come in the fold uh, of Israel, um, even as a slave, uh, you would come into what he calls the good neighborhood. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you would you would uh, receive uh, the blessings yeah. of of yeah. Uh, of the people of God by by that association. So there there is that. Um, but we do have uh, you know um, Jericho was completely destroyed. Um, all the people in it uh, were destroyed. That that's a tough thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple things um, that can help. Um, Going back to the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, where he fleshes out um, in covenant uh, what that's going to be, he actually says um, it's going to be 400 years before you get the land, Abraham. So uh, just kind of chill out a little bit, and you know that 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 particular promise is going to be on the back burner for a bit. Yeah. And uh, you know I'm just uh, reading it here from Genesis 15:13 through 16. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your father's house in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Ammonites is not yet complete. Right. And, uh, you know, later on in Deuteronomy, he says a similar thing. Similar thing, uh, he says, uh, Deuteronomy 9, 5, because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. So um, it it doesn't sort of completely take away the sting of um, the the challenge of the conquest. The the conquest was in part judgment. Yeah. Um, And that judgment, you know, there's this language of um, the, the wickedness is not yet full. Right. For the Ammonites, you right. know, they're, they, they've got 400 years or something before, um, 
you know, the, their wickedness has reached its, its fullness. And you can read in the Old Testament some of the, the evil things that uh, the, the Canaanites do. Yeah. Now, you know, we don't want to wish judgment even on the, the worst people, but um, that, that's sort of part of the equation, yeah. that uh, these just aren't innocent people sort of living their lives uh, um, peacefully. And, um, you know, the, these are wicked nations, and part of the conquest is judgment. Yeah, it's it's. Too, um, if I can yep. just jump in too, I think you had read earlier from Joshua twenty three uh, about all of the good things being fulfilled, and and it says in Joshua twenty three sixteen a little later, just a just a verse after the one you had read, if you God's people, he's speaking to, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. He's not necessarily playing favorites in this way either. Um, it seems that we, we as a culture and, and maybe even the church are guilty many times of weakening the holiness of God. We, we've made it too thin. We, we've made it into something kind of pious, like holiness is really just a, about abstaining from bad things. When really God's holiness is a very, very big deal in the scripture, a very big deal in the mission of who God is. He is a perfect and holy God, and holiness is good. It's not, it's not bad, and it's not scary, but um, it is something I feel like we've thinned out quite a bit. And then in that context, it makes it much harder when, when God acts out of his holiness to, um, to, to cleanse a land or something, and we think, wow, that seems really capricious or unfair or, or petty, um, something like that. Again, I think those feelings can come up, but a lot of that might be just a reflection on our own poor view of God's holiness and, and really his, his sovereignty and right to be glorified. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And and again, uh, you know, the the idea of playing favorites, uh, um, that, that's a great point as well. And just to remember, I mean, this uh, the the promise of the land is part of God's, you know, bigger picture, right? To bless all nations. Yes. Um, so it, it, it there is a tension there. There's no question. The, the second point I wanted to make as well is that, um, you know. Uh, this, the violence of the conquest is meant to be a one-time event. Uh, you know, I don't know if you read these uh, novels uh, about uh, Genghis Khan. Khan Igledon, I think, is the author. Uh, uh, they're, they're great novels. And, and Genghis Khan, I mean, uh, there wasn't, you know, as long as there was land in front of him, there was land to be conquered. Sure. And he just kept on going. You know, mm-hmm. he was never satisfied. His kingdom was a kingdom of expansion. Yep. And we do not see that um, in, in God's kingdom. Huh. Uh, there, there is conquest and there's, there's sort of a, um, a, a shelf life of yeah. conquest. So, um, you know, here you, the idea was to set up a God's people in, in the land of their own. And from there, they would draw in the nations, uh, not go out and conquer uh, more nations. So, you know, these things can, uh, can help a bit, I think, with regard to, um, you know, understanding yeah. the, the challenge of uh, the conquest. But it's, it's, it's don't, still don't you difficult. find it interesting too, Dave, that even geographically, um, the very land itself of Canaan, of Palestine, of, of Israel, whatever you know, political name it has been given over the years, is a really small piece of land in the context mm-hmm. of the Middle East and the ancient Near East. I mean, there was Babylon, which is probably modern-day Iraq, and there was Egypt. Those are not only great empires in power, but great in size. I mean, just huge pieces of land, and yet the land of Israel is quite small, and God does appoint that to be a, sort of the, the light bulb to draw in, you know, the, the darkness of the world and, and to, to be a light to the nations. 
Absolutely, yeah. It's a good um, point. So yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Um, uh, let's. I want. I want to jump to this. This is one of our bigger questions, Dave. Um, so, uh, Joshua and Judges, um, as as difficult as some pieces can be, overall, as you've helped us immensely here, just to fit it into the greater story of who God is and what He is doing and what He has done, um, His story of redemption of this world, uh, all the way right from the beginning of Genesis three, that the offspring of Eve will will bring about, will crush the serpent, and and that God has raised up people to to be a light um, all throughout His story and all throughout the history of this world. Um, here's here's a question I'd love for you to just share uh, with us. How, how does how do Joshua and Judges these books help shape us as God's people? Help shape the, the people of God for His mission. Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and and I think that uh, um, I think the question of God's mission is is there all over, particularly Judges as as the moment uh, of all the promises being fulfilled. And you know, we didn't touch uh, too much on um, asking the, the audience, which is a, a tough. Um, a bit of a tough nut to crack, but um, the the original audience was probably an audience that had experienced exile. Yeah. So all those uh, promises that God said, if you if you persist in uh, your your rebellion and going after other gods, um, the ultimate thing is getting spit out of the land. Um, so they're they're probably a people that um, experienced the stripping back, uh, as I like to see it, the stripping back of the promises uh, of, of to Abraham in order to focus in on the mission. And a, a, a great passage for this is Jeremiah 29. Yeah. You know, the people are there, they're in uh, exile, and, uh, you know, the prophets come and, you know, everyone's kind of like, oh, here's God's prophet. What what, uh, what are they going to bring? And it's not a great message. It's not one that they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear we're going home. Right. And uh, the, the prophecy that Jeremiah has for those ectos living in Babylon who had just seen their world turned upside down, the presence of God leaving the temple, um, everything destroyed, uh, taken out of the land. And the message to them is get comfortable. Um Build houses, marry up your children, get comfortable, yeah. and seek the shalom of the city yeah. in which you find yourself. Because in seeking their shalom, their blessing, uh, you will find your shalom. And, and I really do think, you know, uh, going back to the promises of Abraham and seeing how these get fulfilled, and then from Judges, which is kind of a turning point, you know, uh, them getting stripped back. So, yeah. you know, they're no longer a great nation. They're conquered and divided. Who knows where the 11 tribes are? Right. They're conquered and divided. They're no longer a great nation. Uh, they're no longer in the land. They're exiled. The relationship of blessing, well, I mean, that's uh, um, it, it seems a thing of the distant past. But God says, you know, those things uh, were to facilitate your calling, which is to bless the nations. And now get to it. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, so the, the original audience is being faced with that uh, reality. You weren't a blessing to the nations with all those promises in place. Look at judges. Yeah. yeah. You know, you were meant to be this holy nation and kingdom of priests, and you became more and more like the nations, and it wasn't good for you, yeah. and it wasn't good for the nations either. And uh, so I think it's a, it's a clarion call. It's a warning uh, for God's people back then, but I think it's a it's a warning for us today as well. Um You know, we, we are immersed in a culture that uh, – and in, in essence – 
the, our, our mission is no different. Our calling is no different. We, we uh, need to um, bring blessing to the nations, to, to witness to the kingdom of God, to, to start manifesting that in our lives. And, and the real challenge, as it was for God's people in Judges, is the same for us today. How do we you know, translate that sacred order of God and his kingdom and, and Christ and his kingdom. Right. How do we translate that sacred order, order into an order for society? And what always gets in the way for God's people is are the, the, the sacred order of the day, right? Yeah. The, the, the spirit of the age, if you will. Yeah. And so for us, it's not, you know, the bales and the asterisks and, and those sorts of things. It's consumerism and, all, you know, individualism and relative, you know, all these, uh, th- these are the, God. So, you know, we look back and we say, why? Why do you keep on bowing down and pledging allegiance to these gods? But uh, I suspect if we could get a time machine and get one of God's people from back then to come and just to shadow us for a week, you know, uh, spend time with us at work. And, you know, when we, we have spare time and come to come to church with us, mm. see how we worship. Mm. I bet you they would be able to finger right away all the idols and how yeah. our culture and uh you know the idols of our culture are shaping god's people today yeah now now that's um that that does require some introspection you know how 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 is it uh the part of the problem is we're immersed in this culture israel didn't really see it you know uh, micah in chapter uh, 18, he, or chapter 17, he builds an idol, you know, he, he builds a graven image, sets up a shrine, gets a Levite, and uh, now he says, um, do you still hear me? Yep. Okay, uh, my, my battery might be going. Uh, anyways, um, he, he builds all these things, and what he says after that is, now I know that Yahweh will bless me. Huh. And, and you know. Right. Your readers who are familiar with the Sinai Covenant know yeah. <laughs> that God will not be pleased with that. Right. Uh, but I wonder how much we do that as well. We allow the idols to creep into, you know, our relationships, our our church communities, uh, you know, the the way that we carry out our callings and that. Um, and, and yet we think, you know, that God will be pleased by this. That that is a real challenge because it, it's the enemy you can't see in a sense. It's very interesting. Like it's easy to read these in hindsight and say, man, how dumb were those people? Like how hard-hearted, stubborn, you know, just really dense to not see. God had so clearly warned them. He told them all about the curses and everything. And I think we can we can sometimes take a stance of superiority as if we get it more than they did. Um, what God often does when I'm reading through scriptures, and if that thought comes into my mind, it, it humbles me pretty quickly to say, don't forget, you are just like Israel. You are just as hard-hearted and stubborn and would fall, but by the grace of God, into those same pits that they did. Um, it is interesting because idolatry is such a dangerous piece, um, really, really the, the danger that we are warned against throughout scriptures um, to worship the true God in Jesus Christ. And yet we fall into, right, our, our own idolatries, um, like... No one is is really out there holding up a, a cardboard sign, you know, on the street yelling, repent of your Amazon.com account. You know, that's not a common <laughs> call to repentance. You know, this idea that like somehow what we buy has become an idol and a savior or uh, repent of your sort of, um, I don't know, ideas of, of your own individual liberty that you can do whatever you want whenever and wherever, that that's actually an idol of freedom, as good as freedom can be. It's, it becomes an idol. Um, so it, it's very interesting that 
that that idols hide themselves, right? And they did back then in, in many ways, so the people didn't see him. And uh, and again, but by the grace of God, his eye, he, only his grace and, and spirit can open our eyes to to see that kind of idolatry, which is still persistent today, very much in our in our American culture, and I should say Western culture, uh, we'll, we'll include you Canadians as well. I know you guys don't have many idols at all, but uh, we Americans seem to excel at them. <laughs> oh, dear. I was just thinking, uh, you know, one of the, the antidotes or, or at least uh, what can help us uh, identify our, our idols is... Um, you know, the broader global Christian church, right? right? That's um, a great point. You know, people from the global south will be able to um, identify um, the idols of Western culture a lot quicker than we will, and we might be able to see things that perhaps they don't see. And, uh, you know, as a Canadian uh, sitting on this side of the border on the day of the election, um, <laughs> I might be tempted to pontificate about idols and leadership and all those sorts of things, but I won't. Okay. Well, I mean, you're, you're free to do so, my friend, if you want to. <laughs> we would we would take that humbly. It is, uh, yes, just hello, listeners. It is um, November 8th as we are recording this podcast, and so it is the day of the election when all of the results will soon be pouring in. Um, you know, it's. I think it's appropriate, Dave, that we're talking about the book of Judges and God raising up some pretty harsh <laughs> leaders mm-hmm. uh, that don't seem to shine as wonderful people sometimes uh, right here on our, our day of election. That's how it feels sometimes with the way it, way it ends up with leadership here too. Um, let, me, let me ask you that, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, you have license here to, to give a thought um, to this without feeling like you're being judgmental um, sitting above us in the north up there. But, you know, with, with something like um, power, Anything you could speak to from the book of Judges, do you think that helps us to understand the nature of power, whether it's a negative example or or a way to lead us to something where God wants us to see power in a certain way? Yeah, well, I I think you can see different kinds of leadership and different um, approaches to power, particularly, I think, when you get from Gideon. uh, Gideon is kind of a a pivot point in the book of Judges. So Uh the first half of his story, he's fearful and and trying to get out of things. And then the second half, he becomes, uh, you know, quite power hungry, vengeful. um, And and, uh, really, I, I think even though he denies uh, the offer of kingship, I, I think he in every way shows himself to be a king, taking the plunder, setting up a, a city um, where there, there will be a shrine, um, calling his son, my father is the king. I mean, that that would, should be sort of, yeah. <laughs> That's not one um, of your son's names, is that, I, I gather? You didn't, you didn't name your son that? Uh, no, no, I don't have any Abimelechs but, uh, <laughs> or Abimelechs. Yeah, uh-huh. no. Um so, uh, I mean, you can see, and I'm sure the two candidates, uh, you can see them uh, there in, in Israel's leadership. And, and again, we haven't touched on this, but I, I think the the final chapters, there's a refrain that goes throughout there. And it's, there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, a lot of scholars have said, well, I, I know what that means. If only they had a king, things would get better. Yeah. You know, they, they, the, the things that we see in Judges wouldn't happen. Right. The problem is, is if, if this is written to an audience that has just experienced um, exile, uh, that, that wouldn't be a solution at all because the kings actually drove these countries into the ground and, be, you know, the, the, the things like 
idolatry and immorality they yeah. came became national pastimes under the kings okay. so um they were institutionalized in a sense yeah so um that's not an answer and, and i don't think that's primarily the answer that judges gives as a solution to the problem the no king in israel i think refers as it does um uh, later on, when when Israel does ask for a king, and Samuel's kind of bent out of shape, and and God says, and Samuel, they they haven't rejected you as king, they've rejected me as king, mm-hmm. and I think that no king in, in in Israel is kind of a um, uh, is is another way of saying that. Yeah, you know, they have rejected Yahweh as king. The no king is that they've rejected Yahweh's kingship over them. Yeah, so it, it, it's not a political problem. Um, although politics, uh, it's manifesting in politics and, and, and so on, but that's not primarily Israel's problem. Right. Um, it, it's a problem of who are they going to serve. Interesting and, and, too, isn't it, that, that that is this very same problem that Adam and Eve really had, if you boil it down, that they, yeah. they, God was the true king and he had made them sort of vice regents over all of creation, and they rejected him. They reject, and they went after, you know, being king themselves, as it were. And that seems like that original sin is just is present in in all of our sin now too. That uh, oh, for we, sure. we want to become God, and not submit to Him and His true kingship in our lives. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, and I think another thing that uh, with judges uh, that we can learn today in, in you know the, the political climate that you guys are at, and I think could affect us as well. <laughs> um, is that you know uh, Jesus is on the throne? Yeah, and I think a lot Amen. of um, oh, this is going to sound preachy, but I, I think in uh, in Christianity in general, you know, we we want to say yes, of course, just like the people of old, we serve Yahweh, we serve Jesus, uh-huh. and then um, how we do our politics, how we vote, uh, how we do our business, um, you know, how we do our leisure, that that stuff, um, Christ's kingship doesn't come to play in that. Yeah. Um, it, it's not brought to bear. Right. And, and I think the, the call for God's people and judges, you know, uh, um, s- not only swear allegiance to Yahweh, but now live that out in your society and your relationships and the way you do politics and, and all uh, agriculture, everything um, show that. I think the, the, the call is the same for us today. Yeah. Don't Let's not just give lip service to Jesus' kingship, but let's show his kingship in, uh, in in all that we do, including the way we vote and uh, understand these political issues. Oh, that's great. You know, our phrase here is all of life is all for Jesus. Yeah. And that really is hitting at that every aspect, every sphere of our of our world and of our culture, personally, privately, and publicly, is, is to be given to Jesus and to see Jesus as king lived out through those, through our lives, and us living into the kingdom of God. So, uh, man, that's, that's a, such a good word for us. So I'm glad you got preachy. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of close this up here, I think. Uh, I do want to ask, uh, it's so, so great to talk with you and just hear from you on this. This has been very helpful for us to kind of have a have some lenses to see Joshua and Judges as we roll into them um, in the True Story Project. Anything else you want to throw in here? Any other thoughts uh, for you from you, Dave? Uh, oh, the, you, you can't ask those open-ended questions. I know, really, that's dangerous. <laughs> I, I've talked so it's much dangerous. already. Yeah, no. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that, that uh, you feel like you definitely wanted to hit before we, we close it up. Uh, uh, feel free to, to share that stuff, and uh, we'll be, I think we, by the time this is posted, you listeners will be into um, Joshua, and uh, we, we move quickly through this stuff, and then into Judges, and, and we keep moving along. It's, it's pretty fantastic. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, we, we were talking about violence in, in Joshua. I didn't really get to, to Judges. Right. You know, as, okay. as you're um, – sometimes these Old Testament narratives are, are difficult because we want the narrator to give us uh, the sort of how we're supposed to evaluate this. So, you know, we want them to say and the thing that Ehud did, you know, shoving the dagger in the in the fat – Eglon, um, and the thing that he did was evil in the eyes of the Lord, but right. it just kind of tells the story. Um, that can be challenging. Um, you know, when we when you encounter the violence in the book of Judges in particular, um, just because it's being portrayed doesn't mean it's being portrayed positively, yeah. particularly when you get to those end chapters. I mean, uh, with the Levite and his concubine, you'll get there. I'm not going to fill you in on the details, but, um, you know, that that is horrifying stuff, and, and we really should weep over it right that that these sorts of things should be happening amongst god's people uh, uh, you know uh, god's people perpetrating this kind of stuff against god's people that really should make us weep just because violence is being portrayed doesn't mean that it's being you know promoted and saying this is a very good thing and 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 another thing just to bear in mind with the violence in judges as well it's all stemming back to their their evil and their rebellion. So yeah, yeah. Um, that cycle always starts. You know, some of the cycles, and, and pay attention to this as, as you're going through and reading, you know, there, there are sort of, I think, five elements in the cycle, and uh, um, not all of them appear in every cycle. Okay. So okay. Um, sometimes the elements drop off. So pay attention to that and, and try to work out, you know, why in this case and why not in that case. Um, uh, but in every case... Um, it always starts with Israel doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. So is that just to name those, those elements, if I, I don't have them right in front of me, but it's Israel doing evil, um, God brings uh, a judge or brings something to judge them. Um, uh, no, no. Is that how so it goes? Let, me just, let me just correct that. So Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, God, uh, his, it, it kindles his anger, yep. as the, okay. the language is used, and he sends foreign oppressors. Okay. Right, so the foreign enemies come and oppress the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they they experience that for a time, and then uh, they cry out to the Lord. Right now, that crying out um, as you're going through, don't think that that's repentance. Okay, uh, because actually in Jephthah they do repent. It's the first time that they actually. Um, verbally say we're sorry we'll put away the gods and and god actually says uh you know call it to your gods let them save you yeah uh, it's really that's that's a very troubling passage but right, anyways right. um yeah. uh so uh, they they cry out to the lord which is really deliver us god uh god raises up the judge the judge defeats the enemies and brings peace gotcha okay, okay. yeah so so those are the elements so so pay attention to how those uh work out but everyone starts with Israel doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. So really, um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that all of the the chaos and the evil and the, the violence and bloodshed is all a result, and it stems back to they're doing evil in the yeah. eyes of the Lord. Oh, yeah, that's very helpful, too. Yeah, and that's, uh, thank you for sharing that, because I, I kind of did think that crying out was uh, repentance in a way, but it, it's helpful to hear that maybe that it wasn't true repentance many, many, many times, or if not all the time, at least. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of like in Exodus, uh, they cry out to the Lord. It's the same kind of language. Deliver us, Lord. Be you know yeah. uh, faithful to your covenant. Um, and, and the reason why I don't think in Judges it means repentance is because the one time uh, they, they cry out and then they repent also. So um, it just made, makes me think that uh, that crying out really isn't repentance. It's sure. a crying out for deliverance. Sure. 
Very, very helpful stuff. Dave, thanks so much for spending this time with us and just having this conversation and uh, all we got to cover. It is it is immensely helpful. And uh, these are really these are these are wonderful things we get to discuss and and get to walk through some some difficulties through Joshua and Judges. But uh, it's edifying and we want to be uh, we want to see God's uh, God's power and holiness and grace as we read through these stories and uh, even as he he crushes evil um, that it's uh, in all part of his plan and purposes for for our world and for his good world so uh, it, it's a wonderful thing we appreciate your time and just your sharing and, and being being here with us it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks very much. If you need, uh, as we offer to to all of our podcast guests, if you need a dose of sunshine, you always will have a place to stay down here in Phoenix. So uh, just know that, man, here in Tempe. Uh, we love oh, you. Oh, man, it, in about a month I'll be taking you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe ride that old motorcycle down here, you know. That would take you <laughs> a couple days or something. But, uh, but yeah, but you're always welcome. So we, we appreciate you so much and, uh, and, just, and thank you for your, your time and your insights here. And, uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be talking to you soon. Okay. Thanks very much. God bless. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye.